You're listening to The Cheap Seats on KTCU. Cleveland Browns defensive end Miles Garrett suspended indefinitely after his actions and violence in a Thursday night football game versus the Steelers, though was he provoked by others to do this? Alabama quarterback and Heisman candidate Tua Tagovailoa out for the remainder of the college football season. What does this mean for the Crimson Tide and, more importantly, the future of Tua? Colin Kaepernick worked out this past weekend with a few NFL coaches showing up to watch him at a high school, though it didn't go as planned by the NFL or others coordinating the workout. With more news on James Wiseman and his eligibility, college football, TCU sports, and more, we've got plenty of sports to talk about here on the show today. For Tim Daly, I'm Chad Vaughn. Brace yourselves because we have another good one. You're listening to The Chiefs. There's nothing like the view from the Chiefs. Wednesday, November 20th here on The Cheap Seats on 88.7 FM KTCU. Shortened show today. TCU Women's Basketball coming up right after us here on The Choice. We'll get off air around 6.42. So Jeff Williams and Ben Otten can take you through the pregame at 6.45 for a 7 p.m. tip out at SMU as the Horn Frogs have their first road game on the women's side for basketball but chad lots of good stuff we got to pack into a shortened show this week on the show yeah and this, just this week's show on the uh, yeah you, you got the idea shortened show shortened week uh in the rundown i said brace yourself uh kind of a little of a pun i guess if it doesn't make for good radio but i got braces yesterday so i'm still working on my speech so if i uh slur stumble through any words which i, I don't think i have so far then hey give me a break because, he's getting used to it because i'm getting used to my braces if you've been here uh, on the cheap seats with us. I dislocated my jaw about two months ago. So if you're looking to play, you know, any specific radio host or uh, broadcaster in radio fantasy this week, I will be able to play this week. Uh, he is and questionable, right now. but he is easy. I, I was questionable getting the braces, but well, now without Stephen Near, he's out as the producer of the show. <laughs> but we're still here. We are still here, and we have a great show headed this way. Hey, we might as well just, we don't have that much time for this show, so we might as well just get this show on the road, get the ball rolling. Miles Garrett out for the remainder of the 2019 NFL season after an altercation involving him and several other Pittsburgh Steelers players in last week's Thursday night football game. Uh, final score was, though, the Browns 21, the Steelers 7, so great for the Browns. But here's the thing. There's, there's a little controversy of how this kind of fight altercation happened. I don't think there's it's, much controversy around it personally. Well, okay, I, we, I know Miles Garrett is, is a good, he's, he's a good guy. I, I mean, I would say that he has a good reputation. So I was pretty shocked and surprised when I saw this happen. And the thing is, though, when you look back, the NFL broadcast didn't show it enough. But when you look back, I believe that Mason Rudolph provoked him. I mean, if if you look back, mm. he was sacking him, and it was like mm. a it was a Very shovel unpopular opinion. Chad. Okay, here's the thing: he sh- it was a quick like shovel pass type of thing, and so he didn't. He, I don't think Miles Garrett was aware that Mason Rudolph did not have the ball, so he was going for a sack. Not to mention they sacked him like two or three times in a row oh. on the on that same drive, and so. Then Mason Rudolph provoked him by ripping off Miles Garrett's helmet. He ripped it off before, like while they were still Mason going Rudolph, down to the ground. Okay, 
Mason Rudolph did not rip off Miles Garrett's helmet. Okay, he did. He grabbed both he the straps. He tried to rip off Miles Garrett's helmet. Which is an attempt to rip off a helmet, you know, when all said and done. I'll let you finish your point. So, and, and then, really, that's what really, like, stirred up Miles Garrett. And so, of course, if someone comes at, at you like that and he's, like, he's trying to— he's provoking violence in that situation from Mason Rudolph's end, how are you not going to defend yourself? Then, of course, every, it just piles on and on and on. Who knows what was said? Uh, I we don't have audio clips of you know what they said to each other. It probably was pretty messy. But the point is, it all started with Mason Rudolph on his end. I don't think Miles Garrett. All he was doing is trying to complete a play on the defensive side, and it turned into an altercation. You get somebody mad like that. Hey, so, you know, football players, you got to defend yourself. You got to defend yourself if you're a big athlete like that. You done? I'm pretty much done. It, it, it's not Miles Garrett's fault. Okay. First of all. It is Miles Garrett's fault. Lots of people like you, uh, not lots of people, some people like you have been pointing at Mason Rudolph. Mason Rudolph was defending himself after a late hit from Miles Garrett that probably would have gotten a flag anyway for roughing the passer and then continued to lay on top of Mason Rudolph. So Mason Rudolph, should he have been clawing at his face mask? Probably not. How often does that happen in the NFL, though, when a defensive lineman is laying on top of a quarterback? Pretty often. How many times has that resulted in that defensive player then ripping off the helmet of the quarterback and using it as a weapon to hit him over the head with it? Uh, I can give you the answer to that zero times before this. So right off the bat, that argument, not I'm not really buying it. Then if you want to look further down the road, Chad, let me ask you this. The, the reason this story is back in the headlines, not that it ever really left, kind of a huge deal for the NFL, it happened six days ago, but the reason it's back in the headlines is Miles Garrett appealed his indefinite suspension Which today. Which right, rightfully so, I think. I think he should have. And, and he cited the 2013 Antonio Smith three-game ban, which he got for ripping off Richie Incognito's helmet and swinging it at Richie Incognito. He says the bans should be similar, similar incidents. Now, first of all, Antonio Smith did not make contact with the unhelmeted head of Richie Incognito. So that's the first point there. Second, you can actually see him as he's swinging realize it's a bad idea and slow down on the swing. So that's another issue. However, context does matter here. Let me ask you this, Chad. If Miles Garrett cracks the skull open of Mason Rudolph on the field in prime time, national audience watching, and Mason Rudolph has to be stretchered off if he's even conscious. Is the suspension warranted then? That's a good question because th this is the what ifs. And yes, he, he very well could have you know given him a... Is, is the suspension harsher if that is the case? Yes or no? I mean, I, I think the suspension is probably more fair, I think. Okay. so no, But I'm saying, does the NFL hand down a harder, oh, a harsher than a what it already is suspension now? suspension, if that's the case. You see that on national television. Someone, what if, the worst case now, what if Mason Rudolph dies on the field? Then, pro ooh, probably, probably suspended oh, for, a, for the rest of his career. A harsher punishment, correct? Yeah, yes, a harsher punishment. I, I think so, the, the punishment that he has now, he's out for the remainder of the season, and he has a chance to come. He has to go to Commissioner Goodell for the correct. 2020 season. Rightfully but, so. Yes, and, and I think even if he were to maybe get a concussion, if he were to you know have a gash in his head, I think that, that suspension would probably be similar to what it is now. Here's the thing, though. The reason I ask that line of questioning, and you agree, if he were to die on the field, the suspension would be If he harsher. were to die, that's a different it's story. A, it's a harsher suspension. Absolutely. Okay. The reason I say that is because if you, as Miles Garrett, are appealing and pointing to the Antonio Smith suspension, there's a huge difference between those. Antonio Smith did not connect with Richie, Richie Incognito's head. Miles Garrett did. 
The result matters in this case scenario. Heck, you can even look at the law. Attempted murder, you're still going to jail. You kill someone, you're going to jail for a heck of a lot longer. Swinging your helmet at someone's head is bad. You're going to get suspended. Swinging your helmet at someone's head and connecting, that's a heck of a lot worse. This suspension is completely warranted completely warranted he should be suspended indefinitely and i think the nfl should suspend him for one or two games next year just to make the point that this is not okay in the national football league this is a league that has had its issues especially when it comes to violence especially when it comes to the head trauma of their players having an athlete swing a weapon at a quarterback's head the most protected position in the nfl and connect has to be looked at with swift and harsh punishment, and that is what the NFL has done. I mean, I'm, I'm not on the side of Miles Garrett necessarily. I, I would say that he did not provoke this. The thing is, though, Mason Rudolph was in attempt to rip off Miles Garrett's helmet, so he he's giving him access for him to have his helmet in his hand because, I mean, he wasn't wearing it anymore. He pretty much ripped it off if you really look back at the replay and the play itself. So I'm, I'm just saying, he was given opportunity for him to— and yeah, Mason Rudolph didn't have his helmet on either. I, I didn't— I don't necessarily know how his helmet got ripped off, but the point is, I mean, Mason Ru- Rudolph... Miles provo- Garrett had his helmet on for this situation. He did. He did, okay. He, his, helmet ne- his helmet never left his head. In fact, when these two Steelers offensive linemen tackled him, and you see so, Pouncey, so, p- Pouncey. When you see Pouncey swinging and kicking at him, Miles Garrett still has his helmet on in that situation. Not that that really changes that anything. That 100% but- changes it. It's an unfair fight to begin with, and now you not only are you the one with a helmet on, but you are the one with a weapon in your hand using that weapon? <laughs> there is a reason this man was suspended indefinitely, Chad. Yeah, and I, I, th- I think it's, uh, it's fair for him to be suspended, but the thing is, I, I don't think you need to, like, Mason Rudolph inside of this. He, he really did. I'm, I'm just How saying. did Mason Rudolph? I, I, he, he's am, the one who... He, the late hit is what started this. I mean, it was it, a it, shovel pass. He had no idea that he even had the ball once he was going down. Driving him into the ground and then continuing to lay on top of him is not a football play. That is what starts this. If you want to look all the way back to the start, that is what triggers. Mason Rudolph doesn't just start clawing at Miles Garrett's head for no reason. There is a reason he is trying to rip the helmet off of Miles Garrett, and the reason is he is being laid on top of with eight seconds left in the game, down multiple scores. There's no reason Miles Garrett needs to be going that hard anyway. The Browns have won that football game, a huge win for the Browns, I might add. And how much has that win been talked about? Zero, because of the stupidity of Miles Garrett. I mean, all I'm saying is, I I think. He has a right to appeal this, and I do think he should be suspended. But the point is, he did not. He was provoked, and he did not necessarily start this. That's that's where I'm coming from. But I think we're again. Up. I think the other section where you're coming from right now is your Browns fandom <laughs> and realizing that this is going to hurt the Browns long term. Oh, because and- ha- not having one of, if not the best defensive player on the field for the rest of the season hurts a team that has already shot themselves in the foot multiple times this year. I mean, hey, you're not 100% I am wrong. I'm aware. I know <laughs> so, I'm not wrong. So we, we can just end the conversation right here. Point is, Mason Rudolph uh, provoked it. I'm just saying. I, I'm going to stand I firm just, with that. I, that. Mason Rudolph is not in the clear. He'll probably be fine. But the, the amount of times a situation like that has occurred and the amount of times a player has taken off a helmet and hit someone in the head with it, big number, 
to zero. There's a reason this is being talked about like it is. It doesn't happen in the NFL, and nor should it ever happen again in the National Football League. Speaking of the NFL, Colin Kaepernick had a workout scheduled by the NFL for Saturday. A little change happens. Colin Kaepernick moves it from the Atlanta Falcons facility to a local high school, citing he did not like that the media was not going to be allowed into this workout. Chad, give me your take on this situation. Did Colin Kaepernick help himself, hurt himself, or it did not matter? Well, not only did he not want the, um, or he was upset with the circumstance of the media, but he also did not agree to sign waivers for him to work out at the Falcon, at what, Mercedes-Benz, I believe. I think where, it was the practice, practice Okay, yeah, oh, obviously. But still, he did He did not want to sign the waivers, and that's that's a process in itself of him not complying with the NFL. And so he he pretty much just you know let go all ties with the NFL that for that workout. And he said, "Hey, I want to do my own thing." So they go to a high school. I think he did hurt himself because if he's wanting to play in the NFL, you're going to have to communicate with the NFL. And he was he he was it's been described almost as he was putting on a show. Um, people were calling it a circus of some sort because he just kind of fooled everyone and said, "Hey." We're doing this my way. The fact that the NFL set this up for him and that they were willing to work with him, aside everything else, the way he's been in the media portrayed, they're letting that go. But I think he hurt himself and brought back some of those old views. Uh, and you know, re- they've returned right now. And and I and I'm, I'm nothing against Colin Kaepernick. I think he definitely has the right to do what he wants and say what he wants. But the thing is, he needs to cooperate if he really wants a chance with the NFL. And his off-the-field persona is going to be very important, and it's being more looked at and heavily criticized. And I, I think he hurt himself after the stunt that he pulled this weekend. I, again, fall on the opposite side of you on this one. Um, I think what Colin Kaepernick did, yes, it was a show. But the bottom line is the NFL was putting their own show on by even having this workout for Colin Kaepernick. You tell me the last time the NFL put on a workout for an individual player, unlike the Combine, for an individual player, and it is few and far between. So this already is something that is out of the norms for the NFL to do. And then to not let the media in, I understand why Colin Kaepernick is skeptical about that. He might have the best workout ever. If there's no one there to see it, there has already been a lawsuit that the NFL settled with Colin Kaepernick about collusion by the league against Colin Kaepernick. So now you have all NFL coaches, executives watching this workout. They already have had a lawsuit, which they didn't technically lose because it was settled, but about colluding against him I could see why he was skeptical about trusting the NFL to give the actual results of this workout. You want media there to show the public that you can still play football. Now, only nine teams end up showing up because of the last-minute change, about a 60-mile difference in location, and I get that side of it as well. I get why NFL coaches, NFL scouts didn't want to be there after they were told this was going to happen, and then he changes it. I understand that, but from Colin Kaepernick's perspective, you want the public to be able to see that you can still throw the football. You don't want the NFL scouts to have to go out there and say, wow, he has an elite arm talent still. He still looks like he could be an NFL quarterback because you don't know if they're going to do that. One of the NFL scouts that did go to the workout at the high school actually said those exact words, still has an elite arm talent for a quarterback. But you're right. I don't think he's going to get back into the league. I don't think, I didn't think that before the workout was scheduled. 
I just understand where Colin Kaepernick is going with this and not trusting the NFL to give reliable results of the workout. I, I mean, I think he's still trying to be a political figure, which that that is great. But again, in this situation, you really need to think and really take into act. Like, you really need to watch how you are portrayed. And he really needs to watch how he carries himself because he's already on thin ice in terms of this workout and just the way he has been portrayed and he the way he is seen by the NFL. I, I think here's the thing though. I think Colin Kaepernick had a very similar idea to what I had going into this that no matter how well he threw the football, he was not going to find a spot on an NFL roster this year. So I think he looked at this and said, you know, yes, I can still throw the football. I might as well have the media there to see that I can still throw the football. And I will use the platform that the NFL has now given me again to make the same points that I was making before. So I think he looked at it as, there's no way I'm going to end up on an NFL roster anyway. That has been pretty clear from NFL GMs who have taken way worse quarterbacks as backups this year who have turned into starters. I mean, you, heck, you look even last year and Josh Johnson, who was playing in the Alliance of American Football, started multiple games for the Washington Redskins. So this is, there is much lesser talent in the NFL as it is right now, and I don't think there's going to be anything that can change NFL execs' minds on taking Colin Kaepernick onto their roster at this point in time. Yeah, the sad thing is that he is so talented. I think his workout went pretty well in terms of how it was reported, like you already said, but he he still needs to cooperate. And if and I do think in the offseason, maybe because there's going to be several free agents, there's going to be people who leave the league, we don't know that this quarterback scene and just the lineup of quarterbacks on teams next year is going to change a lot. And he does have a shot, I think, entering the 2020 season to find himself on a roster, mm, maybe being I signed. Would be, I would be shocked. I, I, I would be shocked, but he, hey, he still has he still has an opportunity, especially with, with other rookie quarterbacks if they don't pan out as well. And we, we'll even talk about one who's injured right now. That could maybe, who knows what that how that could play into effect. But the point is, I think... He's so talented and he has a chance, but he needs to cooperate. He needs to behave, and he needs to really watch what he does and what he says to the NFL. Yeah, and speaking of that, I mean, we can we can shift over to, to Tagovailoa right now from one quarterback trying to get into the league who's been there before, played in a Super Bowl, to another quarterback who is everyone's labeling as the franchise changer. He goes down in what was apparently his last drive of the game this last Saturday. Nick Saban said that Tua convinced him to go out there. They wanted to give him some time in a similar type environment to a two-minute drill for his last drive before benching him for the rest of the game as the game was in hand by quite a bit on Saturday for the Crimson Tide. And he hurts his hip and is now out for the year, had a successful surgery they uh, saying he might be able to throw again by February, um, but that is in question as well. What does this mean for Tua Tagovailoa and the NFL draft stock that he was looking at? I mean, he, before this, he was pretty much a write-in as the number one overall pick. Everyone was calling the last few teams playing in the Tua Bowl. Uh, now that is very much in question. In fact, I've seen some draft experts say he's dropping out of the top 10 after this injury. I mean, a dislocated hip is... Definitely doable to recover. However, it's he's still going to have to go through a heavy amount of therapy in the spring once he is able to walk and even jog a little bit or throw the football. And I, I think February is still maybe a little early for him to come back from a big surgery like this. It's pretty traumatic when, when you go down like that. And so I think February might be even early. And so what the, the draft is in April, I believe. And so maybe depending on how he recovers – that you know that could also help him. I, I still think he does have obviously a future in the NFL. 
Is he a first rounder? Absolutely, I think he is. But is he a top five, maybe top 10? I don't know. This does make room, though. I think Joe, Joe Burrow, the clear front runner and Heisman winner, I think, after this season. This also opens up more opportunity for LSU to find themselves in the college football playoffs versus now you don't really have to worry about Alabama on their tail anymore. And so this opens up so much more for other quarterbacks. I think you could probably see uh, Joe Burrow taken as the number one quarterback in the draft now because of this. I mean, Tua's been number one on all mock draft boards for the past year and a half. And but this completely changes everything now. I think I think he finds himself going number nine, number ten to somebody who to, to a team who like definitely needs a quarterback though. Though I mean, Colin Kaepernick depending on if if he goes somewhere or not. Like these two ideas, it might be in a similar story. You you just never know. So it definitely does hurt him a little bit. Though he will be okay. He will be an NFL quarterback, and I think he does have a good future ahead of him. Yeah, and a lot of people have compared this hip injury to that of Bo Jackson, which ended his obviously ended both of his careers uh, in the NFL and Major League Baseball. Um, the difference between those two is Bo Jackson was such a freak athlete that he had the injury and didn't know and continued to play on it, which worsened it to the point where it was kind of e, kind of unable to be fixed. Um, this is not the case. It was caught immediately, obviously, and surgery was done. So Tua will be fine long term. Um, so so can, you can kind of wipe that away from fear. I actually think this might help Tua Tagovailoa from a career standpoint. Yes, he's not going to make as much money at the top of the draft as you would have with the signing bonus of a number one overall pick. But you might see him land with a much better football team than a team like, let's say, the the, the uh, Miami Dolphins or the Cincinnati Bengals or one of these teams that is just an awful football team right now, which in realistically isn't going to be successful in the next three, four years. I see Tua maybe landing with a team like this, the Los Angeles Chargers, which has lots of talent around him, and you could see him be successful immediately at the NFL level, which actually might benefit him immediately because then you already have those contract extension talks. You look at the young quarterbacks currently in the league, the ones who go to the bad teams don't necessarily get those long-term extensions right away because, yeah, they might be playing good football, but they have no offensive line to protect them. They have no receivers to, th to throw to. You put a young quarterback who has that kind of talent in a system on a roster that is surrounded by other very good football talent, and this might actually help Tua. You, you, hear, you heard it right here on the cheap seats first. I'm calling he's going to the Chargers because I think Phillip Rivers, this is his last year with the Chargers. In fact, there's been reports that he's cozying up to the Tennessee Titans, maybe looking to make that move for Phillip Rivers. I'm thinking Tua is going to a very good football team, though, and might be in the playoffs as soon as next year with whatever team he lands on. And even if I do like that point with the Chargers, even if Phillip is still there, because Phil, he doesn't have that much longer in the NFL. This yeah. could be a perfect opportunity for Tua to learn from one of the greatest quarterbacks that we've seen in our generation in Phillip Rivers. And so this could be a great opportunity for Tua. Honestly, even though this definitely hurts in more ways than others, I, I think this could be a win for Tua if he if his draft stock goes down a little bit. I mean, you've seen it. It's very, There's so much pressure when you go to a just terribly bad franchise and you have to be the one to pick that franchise up. I mean, look at Kyler Murray. He's having an okay season, but this is not a tough, this is not an easy task for him. It's very tough. And he's having a hard time really establishing himself still in Arizona. And so the point is, I think, once he goes a little bit more well-established, a team that just needs a little bit of a pick-me-up, then I think this could be the perfect spot for Tua. I, I, 
I could see him going to L.A. I actually really do like that. I mean, heck, you even look at a guy like Baker Mayfield, who went to the Cleveland Browns. Just absolutely I, transformed I, this I, I mean, I, <laughs> franchise. I know, I know you love your boy, Baker Mayfield. I mean, he, he's, he's put them on the map. He's in pl- <laughs> That's, I'm just saying. That's one way to look at it. But you look at the bottom of that draft even, and those guys are the ones who are being successful now at the NFL level. Baker Mayfield, not as much. Josh Rosen near the top of that draft class, not as much. Mitchell Trubisky goes at number two, very much not as So they're, they're the, the guys who get drafted lower the draft and go to these teams that can support them a lot better, you look at Lamar Jackson goes number 32. Patrick Mahomes goes late in his draft. I mean, things like that are where these quarterbacks are really starting to be successful. So that's another point to look at. But let's look big picture for Alabama. What does this mean for their college football playoff hopes? You see the latest college football ranking come out uh, last night. Bama still sitting at number five behind Georgia, who they will who will likely be playing LSU in the SEC championship game. LSU's at number one, Ohio State and Clemson. So theoretically, one of those teams, LSU-Georgia, will not theoretically one of those teams will lose a football game down the stretch which hypothetically would mean the number five team in Alabama would jump into the playoff but do you actually see that being the case now that Tua is out I think in the SEC championship if LSU maintains an undefeated perfect season if they beat Georgia I think that makes room for Alabama to squeeze in that number four spot because then you have potentially a two-loss Georgia team nope wrong I, I just disagree I Well, that's the only way they're going to get in terms of if you're looking at records, if you're looking at SEC numbers, LSU would be the only team to beat Alabama. So rightfully so, they'll get the number one spot. I think LSU will maintain the number one spot moving forward into uh, the top four. They'll be the number one seed in the country. Let's say this. Let's say this. LSU wins out. They beat Georgia. Ohio State wins out. Clemson wins out. Those three teams locked in. One, two, three. Bang, bang, bang. You can debate the order if you want. Those three teams are in if they win out. That number four spot then, you think Georgia loses to LSU in the SEC championship game, and you think Bama gets in if they win out as well? Well, oh, Not playing in the SEC championship game. I, I didn't finish my point. Penn State would have to be Ohio State, and then Clemson would somehow magically have to lose. They won't lose, but one of— one of those teams would Got have it. to lose so again. See, lots has to happen oh, for so Alabama Ohio, to get in. Ohio State could still not win the Big Ten, and they could still they could they could they could still Ohio, lose to Penn State. Ohio State has looked like a darn good football team. Oh, they're so dominant, but Penn State still has a chance. I mean, I'm there, I'm there, just there's saying. a chance. There yes. is a chance. Alabama, though, from the outside in, the LSU has to win. I think, but then also if you flip the script, if Georgia wins, then that evens out the playing field. That kind of it almost humanizes LSU and puts them a little more on the level of Alabama. And so that would change. Ohio State would then be number one. I think Clemson probably be number two. You put LSU, Georgia, number three. But it also depends on the result. I think the direct result of the SEC championship game, if it is LSU and Georgia, which looks like it will be, then you know what's the score of that? I, I, I think that will have to also play into effect as well. I think the odds of Alabama getting into the college football playoff this year are slim to none at this point. You look at the different scenarios. The, the Clemson, the odds of Clemson losing a game down the stretch, practically impossible. The, the ACC is absolute garbage. They might be playing a 500 team in the ACC championship game. They're going to waltz into the college football playoff. Ohio State, I think that they are going to win out in the Big Ten. The Big Ten has some good teams, but no, nothing has compared to Ohio State in my mind in the Big Ten. I think they went out. I think they get in. So those two spots, to me, are locked in. 
LSU at one. Very likely, they not very likely, very possible, they could lose to Georgia in an SEC championship game. By no means is that a stretch of the imagination. But in that situation, I don't think that opens the door for Alabama. It might open the door for two SEC teams to get in in Georgia and LSU still getting in after losing an SEC championship game. So you're saying LSU would probably be number four. If, if In that case, I could that to me is more likely than Alabama getting in over an LSU and over a Pac-12 champion in that situation. To me, Alabama needs so much to happen. They need Clemson to lose. They need Ohio State to lose. They need uh, LSU to lose. And even then, they still might not find themselves in the college football playoff because now the human aspect is here with a committee. It's no longer the computers. You can't just look at the wins that Alabama has, the teams that they've beaten, the loss that they have, and say, well, that's a pretty good loss. They have wins, all right. They're all average. But then look what they have now. The human aspect is now in play, and the committee is looking at this team with now a backup quarterback as their starting quarterback, and that already lessens their strength as a team in the committee's mind. That, to me, is why they have no chance of getting in the playoff, because the committee will be in the back of their head thinking, ah, this is a backup quarterback. I know it has been successful in the past. Ohio State won the national championship with a third-string quarterback in Dwayne Haskin. I understand that point. But to me, Tua Tagovailoa was that good of a football player to make that kind of impact in the committee's minds. See, I'm, I'm more on your side, and the reason why it has nothing to do with what you said. I think the one team that has affected this situation more than any other team is Auburn because Auburn still has to play Alabama in a couple weeks, and this past week, Georgia beat Auburn. And so if Auburn weren't to beat Georgia this past week, they first of all Georgia probably would not have even been in the top 4. But let's say that Correct. they but, but let's say that they were. Let's say Georgia did not lose to LSU and you're in a similar situation like this. Alabama beats Auburn, then that technically that's a win for Alabama over Georgia. And so that would have to happen, but the thing is Georgia beat Auburn. Yeah, so so, so you're, it's, you're hypothetical. It, it's hypothetical, fun, but it's a hypothetical in the past. So it, it's irrelevant. exactly it, no, it, it is completely irrelevant. That's the one team I just I had to mention Auburn. <laughs> Auburn has Auburn's messed this whole situation up. They, I mean, they have. I mean, for, for Alabama in their case. And then the other thing I want to touch on in these latest college football playoff rankings is for the Big Twelve fans listening out there. I hate to break it to you. You're not going to the college football playoff. Baylor losing this past weekend messed up everything for the Big 12. Baylor losing is one thing. But you look and you say, okay, if Baylor loses to Oklahoma, where does Oklahoma end up after a big top 15 college football playoff ranking win? Where do they end up after that win? On the road? In Waco? Prime time? College game day was there? Still at number nine. Behind not one, but two Pac-12 teams, which are on a collision course to play in the Pac-12 title game, which, like I said last week on the show, like I said the week before on the show, is a guaranteed boost to one of those teams' resumes, which means one of them, in my mind, is still walking into the college football playoff, completely closing the door on the Big 12's chances. So do you think... So, so you think Oregon or Utah, the winner of that, let's say Oregon wins the Pac-12. Hypothetically, Utah could also win it. Let's say Oregon wins, LSU beats Georgia in the SEC championship, Alabama is irrelevant, let's say up to this point, because they... So, they, so wait, Oregon wins, LSU wins. Okay. So LSU's still number one. Yep. 
does does this knock Georgia out of the top four? Yes. And put Oregon if, in as yes. that number four spot yes. over Alabama even? Yes. If LSU beats Georgia in the SEC championship game, Georgia then has two losses and is not a conference champion. They're out. Alabama has one loss, but did not even play in their conference championship game. And Oregon has one loss and is a Power 5 conference champion. There is no way the college football playoff committee can put Alabama in over either Utah or Oregon as a one-loss Power 5 conference champion with a backup quarterback as the starter at Alabama. There is no way the committee can do that. So you're saying Oregon or Utah has the best chance right now to have that number four spot if LSU continues to do what they've yes. done. Yes, and the reason I say it, don't look at where Alabama is ranked now. They are five right now. The re- look back to 2014. TCU was number, was th- number, th- was number three, three in the country, and they dropped to number six after a 52-point win. The reason this ranking is irrelevant is because they do not look ahead on this argument. They look where it currently stands. So they are not playing into account that Alabama will not be in the SEC championship game yet. That is not even in this rankings consideration. But when that happens, Oregon and Utah will both jump over Alabama if they win the football game because then they have that conference championship feather in their hat. Alabama will not be able to claim that. So even though most people would be like, okay, Alabama should be ranked lower because they're not going to get there, that's not what the committee looks at. They do not look ahead. They only look at what has happened to this point. That's why you see Alabama where they are now. That will not be the case when they do not play in the SEC championship game. I think we're all going to have to see what happens. I think I think LSU does ma- maintain that number one spot, and I think that will just kind of take care of everything and just wash out everything. But point is, Alabama, it, a lot of things would have to happen, and I, I, it'd be cool. But the thing is, we're, I think we're just so used to seeing Alabama in the playoffs, and it just probably won't happen this year. Yep, The only team to have made every college football playoff since it started. Um, all right, moving on. James Wiseman. He, this has been a wild story out of Memphis. He was not allowed to play. Then he filed a temporary restraining order against the NCAA, plays in the first few games, then pulls back the temporary restraining order, and it sits out. The NCAA now has ruled today that he has to sit out 11 more games. Did the NCAA get this one right, Chad? I think they did get this one right, but honestly, I think James Wiseman got off pretty easy. I, I, I think he did. He accepted, supposedly they proved this, I believe a little under $12,000 from Penny Hardaway to help out his family. And that also I clearly went into the recruitment process when now Memphis had the number one recruiting class of all basketball teams in the country coming into or from class of 2019, and which was just kind of unheard of. Uh, Memphis just kind of shot out of nowhere. And so the thing is, I mean, it's, it's, I think I'm surprised that he's able to play this season. Uh, the reason why it was 11 games is because they're still taking into account uh, the two games, or the, I believe the three games that he played while he was technically ineligible. Ruled by the NCAA, though, he continued to play because he fought for that. And so I think that he got off easy. I think he really did get off easy. The NCAA did this right in terms of the future of Wiseman. I think it's very nice for them to consider that, but he got off easy. Yeah, big ruling for Memphis down there. It'll be fun to watch him down the stretch. Didn't think we'd get to watch him at all this year. Big ruling for Memphis and James Wiseman. All right, we are running out of show. We still got to chuck some Hail Marys, so let's jump right on into it with Hail Marys. There's the Hail Mary headed for the end zone, and it is caught for a touchdown! Caught for a touchdown! I don't believe it! 
All right, it is time for Hail Marys. Just so you know, if you're tuning in to listen to TCU Women's Basketball take on the SMU Mustangs, that game, the pregame for that will come on right after us, 645. Jeff Williams and Ben Otten will get you all set for that matchup. Crosstown rivals, SMU and TCU, 645 pregame, 7 p.m. tip here on 88.7 FM KTCU. All right, Hail Marys last week. I wish we could talk about a more great week for me. I jumped to first place in the standings with 43 points. Steven loses 13, drops to 20 and a half. Chad, you are deep in the cellar again with a negative week down at minus 22.5. As for Hail Marys this week, hopefully you can turn it around, Chad. Who you got? Well, if I want to catch up to you because I believe you have, what, a 60-and-a-half-point lead over me, then I, w- I would hope that Arizona wins by 40. However, uh, in terms of our college football talk, I think after this weekend, we're going to see if Utah really is a contender for the college football playoffs. They'll be on the road at Arizona. Utah's getting 22-and-a-half points. So we will see if they are able to hold on to Arizona. I don't think it's an outright win, though. I think some of those points could be uh, given uh, to somebody taking this as a home Mary. Number seven, Utah at Arizona this Saturday, 9 p.m. Central, seven over there on the West Coast. All right. For my Hail Mary this week, I am taking, I think this is the first time in show history that we've taken the uh, home team, Horn Frogs, in a Hail Mary pick. I'm going with them. They're getting 19 points up in Norman primetime game, 7 p.m. Big Fox. I'm looking forward to this game. The Horn Frogs looked good in the first quarter against Texas Tech, struggled a little bit after that, still held on for a win. Oklahoma looked pretty bad in the first half against Baylor, comes back and wins that football game. If TCU can play like they did in that first quarter against Texas Tech, this could be a really fun football game under the lights up in Norman. Give me the Horn Frogs plus 19 at Oklahoma. Producer Steven Neer not in studio today but he's still got his Hail Mary in. He takes Arkansas at the number one team in the country, LSU. He's taking Arkansas plus 43 and a half, a fat line for the Razorbacks in that one. Steven looking to gain some ground on me in first place. All right, women's basketball coming up right around the corner. Let's talk some other TCU athletics before we get you out to Dallas and SMU. Let's start with the TCU women's volleyball team. For TCU women's volleyball, I'll jump right into it. They have a game Saturday at home in the Rickle, taking on Texas Tech before playing again next Wednesday, again at home um, against Oklahoma. Women's volleyball struggling a little bit this year, 9-14 overall, 7-7 at home, though. So maybe the Rickle will be a nice little spark plug after losing in straight sets to Baylor in their last match. Chad? Yeah, in terms of TCU soccer, their season ended this past weekend, there was a hard-fought game. They were at Arizona in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Final score, Arizona won. TCU women's soccer, nothing. So they ended the season, though. It was really fought well. On the men's side for basketball, TCU last night, it was uh, TCU 60, or excuse me, Monday night. TCU defeated Air Force here at the Shoal Arena. Final score was 65-54. to And tomorrow, 7 p.m., also here in Fort Worth, UC Irvine, who was an NCAA tournament team last season, will be here in Fort Worth taking on the Frogs. Again, 7 p.m. tip-off for that one. And then they'll go on the road out to Vegas, take on some 
uh, ACC opponent in Clemson. It should be fun for men's basketball. And then women starting out 3-0. Nice start to the season for the Horned Frogs. Their first road test is tonight right after us here in a couple minutes. Like I said, we'll get you out there for the pregame show. They take on SMU here at 7 p.m. tip. And then next Tuesday, they will be taking on Army out in West Point this week. Those are the two games for the Horn Frogs on the women's side. And then, of course, football, 7 p.m. out in Norman on Saturday. Fox, if you want to watch it, right here on 88.7 FM. If you want to listen, the Horn Frogs taking on the number nine ranked Oklahoma Sooners. That's all the time we have for tonight on the Cheap Seats. Thank you for tuning in. We will not be on the air next Wednesday, right before Thanksgiving. We'll be back in a couple weeks bringing you all the latest in the sports world. For Chad Vothering, producer Stephen Neer, this is Tim Daly saying thank you for tuning in and thank you for listening to The Cheap Seats. Thank you for listening to The Cheap Seats on KTCU. This town ain't big, this town ain't small, it's a little of both, they say. Our ball club may be minor league, but at least it's triple A. We sit below the Marlboro Man, above the Rockville Wall. We do the wave all by ourselves. Hey, up a blind man could have made that call. We like our beer flat as candy. We like our dogs with mustard and relish. We got a great pitcher, what's his name? Well, we can't even spell it. We don't worry about the pen as much. We just like to see the boys hit it deep. There's nothing like the view from the cheese.